Hi friends, it's Sally. Just a quick note before we start this episode, Jen and I just wanted to make super clear where we stand, which is with Black Lives Matters protesters. Uh, We know we're just a silly podcast about love and we hope that we can be a mental health break from everything that's happening in the world. But we also wanna use our platform to amplify black voices in the fight against white supremacy. So a couple of those voices that we'd like to talk about this week are uh, Kimberly Jones. You guys may have seen her amazing video that went viral, her talking about how life for black people is a rigged game of monopoly. It's extremely powerful. Google it if you haven't seen it. She's also a badass writer and filmmaker who lives right here in Atlanta, and she co-wrote the book, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. You can find her at kimjoneswrites.com. I also would love to recommend an article that was sent to me by my friend Grace. You can find it on medium.com. It's called Our Liberation is Bound Together by Dr. Nicole Evans, Fabra Hemphill, Daisy Hahn, and Katie Hutchins from the nonprofit Embracing Equity. And then, of course, the book, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. So those are just some recommendations, and I hope you guys enjoy our episode. Thanks. Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 53. Welcome back, everybody. Today is a special day for love, especially because today is Sally and Ben's anniversary. It is when we're recording this. I was just going to say that it was a special week because it's going to be your birthday on Friday. It is. Or it was your birthday on Friday. Yeah. When you're listening (laughs) to this, my birthday will have already passed. But yeah, so I what my plan, we are recording on Wednesday, and then I'm just going to very silently and peacefully walk over that hill, and you guys (laughs) will be none the wiser. (laughs) But today is you guys' anniversary. How long have you guys been married for? 14 years. 14 years. That's huge. It's a really long time. Yeah, we were like, wow. So we've been together for 17 years. We've been married for 14 and we were like, man, our relationship is getting ready for its big senior year. Yeah. Oh my God. You're about to graduate high school. I know. We're we're very excited. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have the most bitchin' summer ever. Oh yeah. (laughs) Sign each other's yearbooks. <laughs> Love you together like forever. a husband for 17 years. <laughs> well, congratulations, Sally. Well, and thank Ben. You. Congratulations I know you to you. Listen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's not really anything I did. I'm just living my life one more day. <laughs> <laughs> and I am grateful for it. All right. Should You're we welcome. get into some quickies? Yes, let's do it. Let's get into some quickies. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to start this week, and the quickie that I have is a very dumb, silly quickie, which I think I we it. need some dumb silliness in our lives right now. This is an article written for Daily Record UK, written by Daniel Morrow. You know, everybody is getting through the quarantine right now. A lot of 
countries all over the world, we're all in lockdown and everybody's trying to find ways to entertain themselves. And also people are trying to find out ways to spice up things in the bedroom. So this company called EOT Cleaning Company really wanted to know (laughs) what household items might people be turning to during these Corona times to spice up their time in the bedroom. So Uh, yeah, they were really reaching for something I hear like, you know, like (laughs) we got to sell something sex sells, sex sells. I got an idea. Let's interview people about what household items are using for sex. (laughs) But here's the thing. So they interviewed 1700 people in the UK um, and asked them if any of them were using household items during sex. And 75% of them said yes. And so then they gave them a list of items. I'm going to read the items off to you. And then they said whether or not they use these items during sex. 39% of these people admitted to using a glass table. It sounds dangerous to me. Also, is that a cleaning item? I don't know. Okay. Um, So then 41% of these people interviewed admitted to using a vacuum cleaner also sounds painful. How? how, mm. I mean, okay. I think you got it. Just think for one second. I mean, I, yeah, but okay. Okay. And then (laughs) the next highest is 44% of people said that they used heels, like high heels. Again, not a cleaning product, unless you're a French maid. If you're a French maid, then that makes sense. But um, (laughs) it's, so they use heels. That also sounds a little painful, but if it's just for looks, I understand. 47% admitted to using sponges, but not the Elaine Bennis type of sponge. But the like household cleaning sponge. <laughs> okay, now we're on our first item that's actually a household cleaning item. Yeah. Okay, the next one. Fifty-five percent of people admitted to using a broomstick. That's what first came to my mind. Really? You said household items. And Is- I was like, what could be a cleaning item that people use? And the broomstick was what I thought of. And I was like, no, that people are not using that. of these people interviewed are. And then 72% said mirrors. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I have used none of these items ever. (laughs) So if you're waiting... You and Zach are using a vacuum. If you're waiting for me to say me too, that's just not going to happen in this article. So 81% said that they've used a duster, which again, that's part of a French maid costume. Why do okay. I know so much about a French made costume? That's for me to know. Um, <laughs> oh, right. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I don't know. That's um, 82% said plastic gloves. I guess, oh. like, are they trying to stay safe during <laughs> Corona times? I don't think so, Jen. No? I think it's, it, I don't know. I don't know either. And then 85% said a rope. It says further down in the article, it says for tying people up, which that makes sense. Yeah. And then the highest used household object at 89% of these people interviewed said that they have all admitted to using a spatula, I guess for like spanking, Yeah, but I guess 12 year old me 
just keeps picturing Specialicity, Specialicity from UHF. UHF, Sally. Specialicity. No, I don't know what any speci- of that is. Oh my god. I don't know what UHF is. I it's don't know a Weird Al movie. You've never no. saw UHF? Okay, that's no. homework. That's homework for you. That's pretty much that's the article. I thought it was interesting what people have been using during Damn. sexy Corona time. Or a corona you know what? sexy it just, time, You know what that's, that's just telling me is that people are way more creative than I am. Yeah. And now I feel so <laughs> boring. I know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, you guys tell us. You don't have to tell us publicly. You can, if you feel like telling us, let us know if you've used any of these items. I would be um, interested to know. Or if you know ways that some of these items could be used that we're just not seeing. That's more what I want to know. Yeah. You know, how Tell are us. these items Like, yeah, plastic used. gloves. You, like, tie them around the... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's doing it. I was just thinking of, like, a dominatrix, like, snapping her gloves, like a sexy nurse or something. Oh, okay. So in role-playing. Maybe the yeah. broomstick is a sexy witch. <laughs> <laughs> and the vacuum cleaner is probably also a sexy French maid. Right? It could be. Hopefully. Yeah. But probably not. So that's McQuickay. I love it. That's um that's real eye-opening for me. It was really eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my quickie is also just kind of a fun, silly quickie. This is from an article in Vice by Caroline Thompson. It was a roundup of the craziest catfish stories. Um, I love catfish stories. I know. We haven't done as many as I thought we would. I know. You did one on our very first episode, and we were like, we're going to do so many catfish stories. But then we just, we really haven't. I think yeah. you did one love story that was a catfish story. Of all of the stories, I identified with it the most, and I thought it was pretty funny. So this one is called Catfished by a Bass, <gasps> and it is by uh, a woman named Jamie. So, okay, so she says, it was the very early days of the internet around 1996 or 97, and I had two things working against me. I was very young, and I couldn't conceive of the idea that people would deliberately lie or take advantage of you over the web. So when someone announced in AOL chat room about NSYNC that Lance Bass would be on to take questions directly from fans, I didn't for one second think that someone could be not Lance Bass. (laughs) I typed his handle, something I that should have been an instant red flag. It was like all one word, Lance Bass of NSYNC or something similarly <laughs> ridiculous into search and it came up. Really, really, really search. Lance Bass. Yeah, I'm really, really. This is no kidding, Lance Bass. <laughs> Lance Bass, official of NSYNC. No bullshit, Lance Bass. <laughs> so she messaged him and waited. It didn't take long to get a reply. Another red flag. He asked me how I was. I told him. We chatted for what seemed like a long time. He told oh, me about man. Justin and Joey and a couple of fun stories from the road. It was getting late, and I finally logged off to go to bed after maybe the fifth verbal warning from my mom, who thought I was just talking to my friend Cherie. The next day, Lance Bass messaged me. <gasps> we chatted again, and then for a third time the following day, I was 18 and online friends with a boy I idolized, <laughs> who I was convinced would definitely marry me one day, which I find crazy that she was 18, but yeah. Also, this is very early days of the internet. On the fourth day of our budding romance, Lance told me that he would be happy to send me an advanced copy of NSYNC's new album several weeks before it was released, 
All he needed was a credit card number and a mailing address. Oh, no. I didn't even blink before I was fishing around in my mom's purse looking for a card. When she asked me what the hell I was doing, I confessed the secret I've been keeping to myself. Lance Bass of NSYNC and I have been chatting all week long, are in love, and will soon be meeting. (laughs) He already has my home address, just needs a credit card number. Needless to say, my mom shut that shit down with quickness. Our family computer was moved from an office and into the living room where everyone could see, and I was not allowed to use it after my parents went to bed. I will forever remain catfished by a bass. Oh my God, that story. I love it. It just, I know. uh, I I was probably like 10 or something, but not 18. But I remember, you remember when you would write, remember Tiger Beat magazines where you would, they would give you Uh like the addresses of all the fan clubs. Uh And I would like write, I wrote to every single one of them. Did you? Just like willy nilly. Oh yeah. And then uh, I got a signed picture and letter from Tom Cruise from his movie Far and Away. (laughs) Do you remember that movie? (laughs) Yes. Which is so not like a 10-year-old movie. <laughs> I know. But like, and I was just like, well, uh, Tom and I are friends now. He like wrote me this letter, which was typed and I'm sure reprinted and the yeah. picture was reprinted. Every time I saw Tom Cruise, I was like, hey, Tom. Like, <laughs> it's my bud. My bud, That's Tom. My, my personal uh, best friend. <laughs> remember Far and Away? I remember because I have your picture that you sent me. I'll always remember <laughs> Far and Away. <laughs> So, yeah, I can relate a little bit, but I was very young and she was 18. But, oh, poor yeah. thing. Poor thing. I remember my only fan letter I wrote to Zach Morris from San Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark and Paul. Mark Paul, Gloss, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Gloss, that yeah. I, and I was like, I've never d- written one of these before, but I just feel like we would be friends. I read this about you in... <laughs> Like in Teen Beat and oh man, uh, I heard you love he pizza not. and hate homework. <laughs> I hate homework and love pizza. <laughs> uh, I didn't get a picture though. That's some bullshit. See, Tom Cruise, he might be a Scientologist, but he's really good to his fans, (laughs) especially the 10-year-olds in the 1980s. Oh my God, so funny. (laughs) Nice, dude. Okay, great great quickies all around. I feel good about our cookies. Great cookies. Okay, are you ready for a crazy story? Yes, I am. Okay, good, because this one is nuts. And this is actually going to be told by two different perspectives. It's going to blow your fucking mind. Okay. Uh, Are you going to use different voices? No. When I say two different perspectives, it's like I'm (laughs) going to tell two different people's stories. I'm not going to. Okay. I'll just change. Uh, no. I'll just change hats. You can't see okay. it, but I'm wearing a mustache and a hat for one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish that was true. And a pussy bow blouse for the second. <laughs> um, does this take place in the '80s? Yes, <laughs> it actually does. This is from an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? An article for ABC News by Alexis Shaw, and then an episode of 2020. 2020. Yes, hosted by David Muir, who, let me just side story to show you who's really amazing to their fans. So my 
son Sullivan loves David Muir. He loves him. And a couple of years ago, <laughs> loved it, that. Sully, I, that. I know, Sully wanted to get a haircut, but he was like waiting for his hair to grow out because he wanted to have a, da- a haircut just like David Muir. And um, so I took a picture when he got his haircut. My friend Julie, who I love, does great hair. She cut his hair. And then I posted a side-by-side picture of him and David Muir on Instagram and said, uh, Sully finally got that David Muir cut he's been wanting. And it's the cutest picture. And he did look like David Muir. But so uh, our friend Jeff Dollar, who hosts The Upside, who's amazing, Uh he um, saw the picture and he happened to be friends with David Muir. And he sent the picture to David Muir and David Muir retweeted it and said, I, I actually want his haircut. And then he sent, he asked for her address and he sent Sully a huge box of ABC News swag and then like a, a nice long written letter about like Sully following his dreams and he, one day he'll become a newscaster too and a hat and a signed picture and like any, everything you can ask for. It was yeah. the sweetest thing ever. I'm gonna, this is amazing. I'm going to post like, a picture on our Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. He's like destined to be famous. Dude, he's so charmed. He's charmed. Like he, all he can do is just <laughs> say something and then it's on the friggin' news. So but so I liked watching uh, 2020 with David Muir because now I feel like me and David Muir are best friends. Well, obviously. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> he okay. has your address. <laughs> she knows where I live. Your instincts were correct. It did happen in the 80s, sort of. So in 1989, Kathleen Clark was a 22-year-old stockbroker from Portsmouth, New Jersey. Uh, she had, Yeah. She was like young and beautiful and just started this new career. She had her whole life ahead of her. But then she meets a handsome co-worker named Bruce Diamond. He was very quiet and reserved and shy, and she liked that about him. She liked that he was like polite and kind and easygoing. And he actually wrote her a note and left it on her desk asking her to go out to lunch because it was so shy. And But mm-hmm. she said yes. And over their lunch, he was really trying to woo her and impress her. And she said that she really liked that. Like she liked that he put in that effort. So they dated for six months before Bruce popped the question, which she said yes. And then two years later, so they had a pretty long engagement. They married yeah. on a beach in Maine, surrounded by all of their friends and family and everyone's yeah and everyone said that they were a match made in heaven Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so (laughs) they ended up settling down in a tiny town uh, 40 miles outside of boston he worked as a computer tech salesman and she was a, a homemaker and they had a really nice house and they had a perfect life and then five years later they welcomed a beautiful baby boy And Bruce loved being a dad. She said that he was a wonderful dad and he loved having a son. And friends called them the perfect American family. Their friends call them a lot of things. (laughs) Their friends are really judgy. They thought of them as the perfect American family. And for 13 years, they did live that perfect, happy life. You know, while Kathleen stayed home and managed the house, Bruce traveled a lot for work, but she didn't mind that he was gone because it was just part of their routine. But they loved it when he came home. But by the spring of 2011, Bruce started to become increasingly distracted by his cell phone. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so much so, I guess that's around the time that like smartphones were like a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people were playing with their phones, but he was 
so much distracted that one night they were at a friend's house for dinner and you know all the friends are watching the guys all went outside to hang out you know the women always go in one room and the men go in right. another room so the guys <laughs> all went inside to hang out but Bruce stayed inside and sat on the couch and just played with his phone the whole time you know Kathleen thought it was weird and she asked him like what's going on why are you on your phone so much and he was like oh I just got a lot of work I'm answering you know work emails so Bruce ended up getting a different job doing government sales and this job made him have to travel to the DC area at least two times a month. And mm-hmm. he was starting to become even more distant. And when he was home, he was super irritable, critical of Kathleen and just all over her ass about stuff. She said one day they had, uh, she had come downstairs and saw that every single cabinet door was open. And she said that, you know, that was an argument that they would have from time to time is she would leave a cabinet door open and it would drive him crazy. So I guess like he he was making, Zach does it. Oh, Sally. (laughs) I know. She's a cabinet. (laughs) So, um, I'm I'm the annoying dude in our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Do you pee all over the seat? Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so, you know, I guess like to make a statement to her, he, like opened every single cabinet door, which is counterproductive and a little bitchy. Yeah, that's uh, very passive aggressive. Yeah. So he would fly off the handle over small things and she knew something was up. And so in the fall of 2011, their 20-year marriage was starting to go south. He was constantly on his phone. Then when he wasn't on his phone, he was just very snappy and harsh to Kathleen all the time. She said that it got to the point when she would hear his car pulling up the driveway, her stomach would turn. Because she'd be like, oh, God, now he's going to come give me shit about something or be in a bad mood. And, And her friends also thought that he was acting strange. These friends, they're all over their shit. <laughs> so they're, um, her friends also thought that he was acting strange as well. And they asked her, they said, do you think that he might be having an affair? But Kathleen was just, just thought that he was so shy that she couldn't imagine. He was so shy and quiet and reserved. She couldn't imagine that he would even have the guts to go have an affair, you know? Right. And um, so she said that she didn't think so. But then two days before Christmas, she was in the kitchen and his phone was sitting on the counter. And when it buzzed, she looked down at the phone and saw that a text message from someone that said, not sure if I'm going to be here. And when she picked the phone up, she saw that it was from a woman named Sarida. And so she went upstairs and showed him the phone and was like, what is this? Are you having an affair? And he said, no, no, I'm not having an affair. Uh, that was a text from a, um, a stripper friend of my buddies. That she's just letting me know that she won't be dancing that night. Like, what the what? fuck? What kind of like, that is such like, if that was like a Saturday Night Live character for someone that didn't have good excuses, like bad excuse guy, you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not having an affair. It's, it's just a text from a, a stripper. Uh, that was a friend of my <laughs> friend's. Uh, she's just letting us know that she won't be dancing tonight. Like, what the fuck? And so anyway, he was like, I would never, ever, ever cheat on you, ever. I would never do that to you. I can never do that to you. And Kathleen was like, yeah, something's not right. <laughs> so like, why wouldn't you just say, it's a coworker? <laughs> I know. Something's fishy here. Yeah. And so... But over the next few weeks, she said that Bruce seemed to be back to his old happy self again. Bruce was treating her better. 
he was like taking her out to dinners again and stuff and things were on the up and up. But <laughs> <laughs> on June 15th, 2012, Bruce had made plans to go visit his mother in Massachusetts for the day. So he told her he was going to be gone and that he would be gone pretty late. But the next morning she woke up and Bruce wasn't there. She kept calling him, but he wasn't answering, which was weird because he was always attached to his phone. Bruce had never not come home, you know, so she was definitely worried. And, um, and so later that day she gets a phone call from Bruce's brother saying that Bruce had been arrested and he was sitting in Arlington, Virginia jail cell. So what did Bruce do? What did, what did Bruce he do? do? Here's what where did quiet I, reserved Bruce here, do? Here's where I take my hat off <laughs> <laughs> and I put on the pussy bow blouse. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, now we're going to go look at this perspective from another woman. Okay. So, In the fall of 2011, Bruce Diamond was on a flight from Boston to D.C. when he met a woman on the flight named Sarita Hicks, who happened to be sitting next to her on the flight. Um, And they struck up a friendly conversation. And after they landed, Bruce asked Sarita for her phone number, saying, you know, oh, I'm in the D.C. area all the time. I'd love to see you again. Sarita was a single mother who lived in Arlington with her 16-year-old daughter, Pam. She thought he seemed really nice, you know, and so she agreed to go out on a date with him. But she was really careful about only meeting him out in public. And they went out on three dates before she would even let him know where she lived. And the only reason she let him know where she lived was because he said he wanted to send her flowers. Mm -hmm. So she gave him her address. And once he had it, he just like would send her flowers and chocolate and lingerie and then and all these gifts. And then he sent her a fancy new iPhone. Sarita kind of thought all of this was happening a little too fast. You know, it, it was just too much too quickly and when she tried to let him down easily that's when the nightmare started so apparently he was using the iphone to track her and she had no idea oh my god and through the iphone he was downloading all of her phone numbers all of her contacts reading all of her text messages all of her facebook messages and he used her contacts so bruce was pissed that she was breaking up with him. Right. Um, so he used her contacts to send text messages to all of them, telling them that Sarita had STDs. Are you in fucking high school, Bruce? Seriously. STDs? I know. And so then he sent another message to all of her friends with a link to an escort service where Sarita was listed as an escort. He had created an entire page <sighs> with all of her information. And he told her that if you don't take me back, I'm going to tell everyone that you're a prostitute. Like he had already sent it to her friends, but when when she confronted him about it, he was like, if you don't get back together with me, I'm going to make it see, let everyone see this. And she wouldn't get back together with him, obviously. And then things got even worse. He sent more links to escort services to everyone she knows included her work address and phone number to the bank that she worked at. So men would start coming to the bank where she worked looking for sex. 
Oh my God. I know. So Sarita lost her job. And so not only did she lose her job, but she lost her identity. He had all of her phone numbers and her contacts and was texting everybody all this crazy shit. He canceled her utilities. He canceled her water and had her power shut off. And then he posted a sex tape of the two of them that he had secretly recorded. She had no idea. And he said, Nightmare. I know. It just keeps getting worse and worse. He sent it to um, the sex tape to her family, to her daughter, to her daughter's friends. (gasps) Can you imagine a 16 year old girl? Oh my gosh. I know. And then if it couldn't have gotten any worse, it did. When Bruce listed her 16 year old daughter Pam's name on all (gasps) of these sites on all oh of these escort gosh. sites and put their home address on them. So was she like reporting this to the police? Or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So here is this single mother and daughter living together and they have all of these strange men coming to their house at all hours of the night looking for sex. Like could you fucking imagine? Can oh you imagine gosh. the terror? No. And so then he would text her her daughter Pam's friends pretending that he was Serena, saying that he was she was a porn star. And then Bruce came to their house with a knife and slashed all of her tires. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. How how long is this happening over? So I guess this is happening over like the course of I I I believe it's like maybe the course of a year. So, of course, she was in fear um, for her and her daughter's life, obviously. And she had definitely called the police. And Bruce one night drove. Instead of flying, he drove all the way from Boston to Arlington and sat in her parking lot. And when he got out to slash her tires again, the police this time were waiting for him. And so he was arrested and in custody for identity theft, extortion, and stalking. So now let's get back to Kathleen, who just okay. received the phone call that her husband is in jail. Okay. So Bruce calls her and tells her that from jail and is like, of course, I'm not having an affair. This woman, you know, she owed me money and I was just trying to get the money back from her, acting like this was just mm-hmm. this was just a crazy lady that owed him money or whatever. Kathy then looks up the woman's name. She founds all of these websites with this woman being a prostitute. And she was like, oh, my God, my husband's been cheating on me with this prostitute. And so so Bruce keeps calling Kathleen, begging her to bail him out. And all the while he's begging her to get him out of jail, he's also insulting her and saying things like, oh, this wouldn't have happened if you were a better wife. And that if you have one ounce of humanity, you would help me. And that's when Kathleen was just like, dude, fuck you. Yeah. Hell yeah, Kathleen. Yeah. And so after 21 years of marriage, she was fucking done. Not only right. was she not going to bail him out, but she wanted a divorce. Good for you. Yeah. She doesn't even know the half of it. No. And uh, things are about to get a lot worse for Kathleen. Oh, man. So when he finds out that she's not going to bail him out and she wants a divorce – This sets Bruce off. So while Mm -hmm. he's in jail, he would use his one phone call a day to totally fuck with her. He was shutting off all of her her utilities. He transferred all of their money out of their bank account. and All from jail? Yes. Apparently, he could do this. So not only is he doing this 
to her, but he's doing this to his son. Right. You know, it's like, what a fucker. And then he shut off their cable and Wi-Fi. And then Kathleen finds out that she's also, not only did he take all the money out of her account, but she realizes that she's also left with $50,000 worth of debt from all of the trips that he would make to see Sarita and all of the gifts that he had bought her. $50,000. Oh my God. I know. This motherfucker. So this motherfucker. And this is all stuff that it's like, there's not really much you can do about that. Yeah. She like she was fucked. And so the next month, the police show up to her house telling her that Bruce had somehow made bail, maybe because of all the money he transferred out of their account. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he made bail and he was out free. So that's when they told her about what was really happening with Sarida. This isn't a prostitute that your husband was cheating on you with. This is a woman who he's been not I'm not I'm also not saying that it justifies anything if she was a prostitute. Like I'm not shaming sex workers. Yeah. yeah. This wasn't a woman he was having an affair with or yeah. paying for sex. This is a woman that he was stalking and terrorizing like he's doing he, to her now. Yes. They feared that she, he would harm her also. So they advised her to get a protective order immediately, which I think that's really great of them that they were proactive in mm-hmm. warning her and making sure that she was safe. So, so she did get a temporary order, but she was living in fear just like Serena was, you know? And so two weeks later, Kathleen comes home with her son and they find, so just to show you like how much the protective order helps, um, Mm -hmm. she came home and she found that her laptop and computer were missing. And that's when she knew Bruce had been in the house. Yeah. So it's so fucking creepy. And so he used the laptop and computer to mess with her more. He changed all of her passwords to all of her accounts. He would listen to her voicemails and delete them. He was just obsessed with terrorizing her. Right. But then it was November 9th, 2012, when Bruce was arrested again for being outside of Sarita's apartment and he was put back in jail. So on December of 2012, Bruce pled guilty to attempted extortion, two counts of stalking, felony identity theft, and he was sentenced to seven years in jail. So here's the thing. He was set to be released on June 8th, 2018. Uh And I've tried to look into what is the update. Was he released? Where is he now? But there have been no updates on this case on both sides since 2013. So I don't know where he is, but I do know that the last that they checked in with Kathleen and her son, they were doing great and moving forward. Mm -hmm. The last that they checked in with Sarita, she said that she still lived in fear and that all of the sex tapes were still online because it's nearly impossible to scrub all of that off the internet. So yeah, it's awful. And it's just so heartbreaking. This poor woman who didn't even know that she was being filmed still has to live with this. And she said that her and her daughter, Pam, are trying their best to move forward. But Pam said that she will never trust men after this experience, which just breaks my heart. Like this young girl that at such a young age is like, what the fuck? Oh gosh, that is what a devious, twisted 
person? And like, where did that come from? I don't know. Kathleen was married to this man for 20 years and had no idea that this monster was living inside of this man. And was this the first time with, have there, were there any other women that he had done similar things to or? I don't think so. I don't see any reports or anything from anyone else. It just looks like it was just these two women, like his wife and Sarita. So maybe he just like lost his mind and went a little crazy and felt, it felt that rush of power from controlling these women by, cause you know, he was a computer tech guy mm-hmm. and he worked for the government. Maybe he just felt like this power of like being able to terrorize people through technology. Right. But it's super fucked. And I, I don't have any updates. I wish that I had more updates since then, but I looked and looked and I couldn't find anything since 2013. Yeah. So I hope they're all doing well. And I hope Bruce, Fucks off. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he fucks right off. Yeah. So that's my crazy story. Man, that's nuts. Good job. That was nuts. All right. Well, Jen, guess what? I have got a super sweet, super sweet love story to counteract that very disturbing story. This is... From I got my information from the New York Times, an article by a writer named Tammy Lagorse, from USA Today by Craig McDonald, and from People.com by a writer named Rachel DeSantis. In 1955, Annette Adkins moved to Woodbridge, Virginia to live with her cousin Betty Nichols at the start of her junior year in high school. Her parents thought that she could get a better education in Woodbridge because Annette grew up in this tiny town in Pikeville, Kentucky. And there wasn't much to do for teenagers there. Annette said, I couldn't go to football games because there was no football team or really have a social life there. It was just so tiny. There weren't really other teenagers. So Woodbridge was different, though. It was bigger. And there, Annette had a chance at a social life. And she was, of course, you know, she was the pretty new girl in school. And so she caught the eye of a lot of boys, in particular, a football player named Bob Harvey. Okay, so Bob had study hall with Annette, and he says, I couldn't take my eyes off her. She had auburn hair and a stunningly beautiful face, and her eyes were just wow. (laughs) And during one of her first study halls, Annette noticed Bob passing notes to a girl that she rode the bus with. Her name was Shirley Pemberton. And she says, one day I saw Shirley on the bus, and I said, do you like Bob Harvey? I've seen you passing notes with him. And Shirley said, no, he's actually passing me notes because he's wanting to know about you. So Annette was excited. But when Bob asked her to a school dance as a first date, she actually said no, because she was from this small country town and she didn't know how to dance. And so she was nervous. And so she was like, I'm just going to go to this dance with this uh, friend of her cousin's. And just like a classmate that she didn't have feelings for. And she says that she thought, okay, I'll go with that guy and learn how to dance. And then if Bob asks me out again, I'll be ready. And then when they went to the dance, she says, and who was at the door collecting our tickets but Bob? And Bob was... He was like kind of heartbroken that she was there with another boy, but he still asked her to dance that night anyway. And she said, yes. She said, I was so timid. I was trembling. I wanted him to like me. But Bob was already smitten with Annette. 
So soon the two were going steady. They went to other school dances together and they double dated and they were together their whole year. And Annette says, I remember I liked watching him play football. I liked walking off the field with him and holding his hand. She says, it was just kind of an innocent time. I remember Bob and I would sit in the backseat of the car and Bob would hold my hand and we would talk about everything, but he would never kiss me. So this one evening, I thought, I'm going to kiss him. And he was all the way against the car door. And I just leaned over and kissed him on the lips. And it was like he couldn't believe it. So then in June of 1956, Annette left Woodbridge to spend the summer in Florida with her family. And Bob remembers her getting into the car and waving goodbye. She was waving goodbye out of the back window of the car. And he says he wiped tears from his eyes as he waved back. He said she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. I was totally 100% in love with her. And so Bob actually sold his hunting rifle so that he could make long-distance calls to Annette while she was away for the summer. But within a month, after only a few conversations, he ran out of money. So he basically just had to, they couldn't talk the rest of the summer. And so he was just waiting for her to get back to start their senior year. But when Annette got back, it wasn't the cheerful reunion that he had hoped for because over the summer, she had met someone else, a boy named John Callahan. But Bob didn't know anything about it. So on their first day back, he found – he was so excited. He found her at her locker and he went in for this big hug. But Annette was like, I don't want to string him along. She was a really direct girl and she said, Bob, I met someone else. I'm sorry. I don't want to date you anymore. And Bob was – He was so sad. He said, I still loved her tremendously, but being a Southern gentleman, I knew I had to respect what she said. So they broke up, but soon there was another new girl at school and her name was Diane Swift. And Bob says she had long red hair and freckles and looked like Maureen O'Hara. And so Bob asked her to the prom and two years later, the two were married. And Annette's boyfriend, John Callahan, uh, lived in Ashland, Kentucky. And within four years that pair was married as well. So Annette and John and Diane and Bob spent the next 60 years living happy married lives with their spouses. Bob and Diane settled down in Woodbridge and they had a son and daughter. He worked as a Washington DC parks police officer for 15 years before retiring in 1977. And then he became a middle school teacher for 23 years. He's been a deacon at his church in King George, Virginia for 18 years. Annette and John had two sons and two daughters and lived in Westerville, Ohio. She became a nurse and worked at several hospitals while having her kids. And they ended up relocating to several different places, including Nashville and Ashland for John's career in computers. But then after 60 years of marriage for both, they both lost their spouses, only two years apart. So Annette's husband, John, developed vascular dementia and died in 2015. And Bob's wife, Diane, died of cancer in 2017. So in early 2018, Annette's nephew was visiting and found an old forgotten roll of film. And he asked Annette if he could develop it. And what he found were pictures of a young Annette posing, laughing on a couch with a handsome young man. It was Bob and Annette before their junior prom. And when Annette saw the picture, she said she was awash in memories. She said, it came, it came to me looking at those pictures that I had so much fun with Bob and I wanted to talk to him again. So she ended up looking for him on Facebook, but couldn't find him. And then in 
August of 2018, Bob was diagnosed with bone marrow cancer. And as he, as he negotiated his cancer treatments, he was kind of, you know, he just lost his wife and he was kind of also Mm. just trying to figure out how he wanted to spend the rest of his life. So he had this, had had this year of really intense chemotherapy and his doctors agreed to give him a three week break in treatment. So he went off on this kind of aimless mind clearing road trip and he says on the way back, he had his radio on and on like the 50s music channel. And they were playing like all this music that he and Annette used to dance to. He loved Johnny Mathis. And so like Chances Are and The Twelfth Night and Never. And he said he had to pull off the freeway listening to this music because he and just cried because it made him think of Annette. And it turns out he'd actually, even though he and his wife had a wonderful marriage, he had carried Annette's picture in his wallet for 60 years. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? So, wow. Oh my God. What if your husband had a woman's picture in his I know. wallet from <laughs> high like, school? It's, very, it's sweet for them, but also I'm like, man, like, I would like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wonder if it was hidden in a pocket. I don't know. So, in 2019, this, after his, his road trip, he decides to Google Annette. And a Google search turned up her husband, John's 2015 obituary. And he says, Bob says, I hit the floor. I was like, oh God, she's been a widow for four and a half years. She's probably remarried and I've lost her again. But he decided it was worth it to take a shot. So he sent, he actually sent a donation to the palliative care unit that had taken care of John. And then he sent a card of condolence to Annette with his name, address and phone number and signed it thinking of you. So for eight days, he waited. And then on the evening of July 26, she called and she said, I've been looking for you and I've given up hearing from you. Can you come to Ohio? And he told her, I can be there tomorrow. So he oh, got up wow. at 5 a.m. and drove 12 hours straight, only stopping for gas and to buy a bouquet of pink and white carnations right when he got into town. When she answered the door, he knew what he had to do. He had called his son Brian earlier and was like, how do I do this? Do I just run up and plant one on her like it's 1956? And his son said, go for it, dad. What do you have to lose? And so Annette says, when she opened the door, she said, he had pink and white carnations and they looked at me and said, you're beautiful. I love you. And he took my face in his hands and he said, I'm going to kiss you whether you like it or not. (gasps) Is that so romantic? Also, yeah. Okay. (laughs) And it's so cute. Yeah. So he ended up spending a week in Ohio. And while he was there, he asked her to dance in the kitchen to the old songs that they used to dance to. And he was like, I'm sure you've danced a lot over the years. And she said, no, actually, my husband didn't dance. And you are the last person I danced with. (gasps) Oh, my God. So, okay. So then on August 27th, a month after their reunion, he asked Annette to marry him with a vintage 1950s diamond ring that had three stones, small stones on each side of a center diamond. And Bob said it's one for each of their past, present, and future. And the center one is their future together. On October 19th of 2019, the two were married 63 years after their first kiss. And Bob cried twice during the ceremony. And at a rece- at the reception, they danced to Chances Are by Johnny Mathis. As they made their way down the steps at the reception, 
Bob pulled Annette close and they slow danced for the crowd of friends and family sitting down and Bob was whispering in her ears and softly singing the lyrics. And Annette said, I feel happy again. I was alone for a while and was very lonely. I feel like I have a purpose again. It feels like no time has passed. And Bob says, I'm as giddy as can be. My heart is bursting. We're looking forward to a very long lasting relationship. Oh my God, that is such a sweet love story. Oh, I know. It's just sweet as pie and it made me feel good and real, real, real cute. So I can't wait to show pictures. I can't wait to see them. Oh, good one, Sal. Good one. Woohoo. Look at that. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so for something dumb, I was going to say turning 40, but I mean, come on. I need to just get over it. It's not a big deal. It's, it's fine. Deal. Every, everybody turns 40, man. Hopefully. Everybody turns 40. It's just yeah, another man. day, another dollar. Another day, and, another dollar, and you uh, wear it well. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We're all fine. <laughs> um, but uh, so I guess, but for something I love, I'm grateful to be turning 40. And I'm grateful for my friends. I know it wasn't the uh, plan that we had. Sally and I should have been in Montreal this week celebrating, but mm. Corona had a different plan. <laughs> so <laughs> we're just going to be a, we're going to have a tiny little backyard social distance. There's just going to be like four of us. And my husband's going to, he's volunteered to be the pool boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to be near our above ground pool social distance hanging and eating pizza and Zach will be our pool boy and our cabana boy and get us drinks and whatever we need. So I'm I'm pretty grateful for that. I think that's awesome. I think we're going to have a good time. Also, one more thing that I love. I've been watching this show. It's called uh, Never Have I Ever on Netflix. It's written (gasps) by Mindy Kaling. It's so good. It's so good. So good. And it's just like- Yeah, Ben and I are on the last episode. I'm I'm sad. Yeah. Oh, really? I think I have like four more left, but I'm super into it. And it's just like, just happy comedy. Yeah. That's well written. Yeah. So good. Mindy Kaling's the best. Yeah. So uh, what about you? Okay. So my something dumb is just a voting debacle in Georgia. Oh, yeah. That's very frustrating. uh, Yeah. I mean, this was, so we're, we're recording this on, on Wednesday before, obviously the Wednesday before you're listening to it. on Wednesday, June 10th. And so, yeah, yesterday was primary elections in Georgia and there was just such a, I mean, just long lines and machines not working. And Georgia's, it just has such a history of especially, especially black areas are, yeah. are have a hard to harder time voting, like, and, you know, less machines and less workers and all of the things where people are like, oh, it's just, it's just coincidental. It's like, it's not fucking coincidental. Yeah. That I read something that like, where there are minority voters, they're 37% longer wait times. Jesus. And that's not because there are more people voting there. It's because there are less amenities and less um, less voting machines. Anyway, so that's real dumb. And that's real dumb. But this thing that I love is you, Jen. No. Yeah. I'm, no, uh, get out of here. I mean, I know you're not like, oh, I'm excited to turn 40. But I'm just, you know, I'm just excited to have a day to celebrate you because you're awesome and you're such a good friend and such a good person to put to be doing a project with. And I'm just so grateful to have you in my life. 
Aww. And so you're the thing I love this week. Dude, I love you. Oh, my God. And I think I feel all those same ways about you. I'm grateful oh for you, Sally. And I'm so stoked that you're going to be one of the four people hanging out with me on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to be so excited and that it's going to – I'm going to be have the excitement of, like, ten people. <laughs> oh, it's going to feel like a hundred. Yeah, it's going to feel like a hundred. Oh, man. Thanks, um, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, jerk Dude. off motion, jerk off motion. Exactly. Exactly. Um, great episode. Listen, great episode. You guys, uh, I hope you everybody is feeling safe and engaged in the world. And if there's anything we can do for you guys, just send us a message. We're thinking about you guys. Uh, send us Send us a message. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, I totally forgot. Speaking of voting, so we said on our Instagram, we said, send us your voting sticker and we will shout you out on our, our next episode, which is mm-hmm. this one. So I want to shout out Alana Marie, the lin- little engine that can't even on oh, yeah. uh, Instagram. And also uh, Will from the podcast Color You Next Tuesday. Which is uh, such a fun podcast. It's It's two hairdressers that are just like telling it like it is <laughs> and I love yeah. it yeah so give them a give them a listen give them a listen and um so they send us their stickers but I, I'd like to think that most people did vote they just didn't have time yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, just, they were busy voting they can't mess with our stupid Instagram but uh they thank you guys for sending us your stickers. Oh, one other thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, we posted about this but I don't think we talked about it on the podcast we were guests on Rock the Cash Bar. Yes. Yeah. So we did an episode, our good friend Diane Gallagher, we did an episode of her podcast, which is super fun. They talk about, they take a song and then they dissect the lyrics. And we did a super fun one. We did Goodbye Earl by the Dixie Chicks. And so you guys can uh, find that. Go listen to Rock the Cash Bar. Yeah. Do it. Do it. And uh, thank you guys so much for everything. We love you so much. And get out there and go. Well, I think we still have to stay inside for a little while more. But uh, in your hearts, get out there <laughs> and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, 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 dum-